all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is the program where we take your calls, your questions or concerns that you have about your health or the health of somebody who is near and dear to you. You can call in and we'll try to answer those live today or at least steer you in the right direction. The number to call, as you just heard, is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call, we always encourage you to send in some emails. Did some of those this past uh, week. I believe that was Friday. I was answering some of those. And uh, good emails from time to time. We broadcast those on the show, too, if I'm not able to be here live. Uh, But do email us if you have a a question. Maybe it's a longer question that you have that we can't uh, necessarily fit you in on the program. uh, Or you're not able to call at your current uh, time. You can always reach us at remedy at mpbonline.com. Dot org. Also, want to remind everybody: we, uh, you know, if you if you miss some of the program and you're like, "Hey, I didn't quite catch what Dr. Jimmy said or what the caller said," you can always go back and uh, they, we archive those from time to time. It's a little bit of a delay; I think it's a couple of days to a week. Um, but all the programs can be found on our website, mpbonline.org. You can go back and listen to those programs uh, when you want if you didn't quite catch everything. I do want to encourage people, you know, we've got an entire hour to, to uh, address your cause. We want to give people equal time, uh, to uh, adequate time to uh, to voice those calls so that they don't you don't feel rushed. But for some reason, everybody likes to uh, not or they don't like to be the first caller. And uh, the problem with the, the second half of the hour, we are sometimes we do have to rush because we do have a limit on our time here on Southern Remedy. So uh, instead of waiting to uh, till the second half of the hour, hey, call in now. If you've got a question that you want to address with us, then give us a call. That's one eight seven seven mpb ring Hope everybody's having a great fall winter, whatever that is in Mississippi. You know, one moment it's cold, and the next day it's uh, summer again. And let me tell you what, my plants at my house have gone nuts. I have azaleas that have been blooming for the last month and a half. And they don't know what to do. My mom was texting me uh, earlier this week about uh, all of her plants. Man, she's got a ton of stuff blooming down around Hattiesburg. So uh, certainly uh, that uh, sort of transitional weather we have in Mississippi, you never know quite what you're going to get. It's like uh, um, that box of chocolates that um, that um, uh, Forrest Gump had. So 
Hey, holiday food. So what can you do to, to eat uh, healthy, and what are some of the things to watch out for? It's interesting. So I ran across this in the studio. We're not going to implicate anybody who brought this into the studio, but I noticed this walking in this morning. So this is a can of Spam. Okay, I know some of you are like, wow, that brings back memories. That's my favorite food group uh, and so forth. But this is a special holiday Spam. And it says it's limited edition. I like that. Good marketing ploy. Uh, But it's pumpkin spice spam. Now, you may not like spam, but, I mean, I don't know if that makes it more enticing or something that you're just going to be a little nauseated when you hear that. So it's interesting. So they were making, uh, they were they were kidding around with me in the in the station, but at, uh, here at the studio, just because uh, I immediately looked to the label on the side just to sort of see, hey, what's that going to impact you? Uh, how's that going to impact you? And one of the first things, being a hypertension specialist, I try to uh, to look at sodium content. Now in this can. Uh, two ounces is a serving size, which is not a whole lot. And there are six servings per container. So this is just an FYI on reading labels on things. So you may say, hey, I eat the whole can um, and, and that's my serving size. But you have to look at this because you could look at it and say, well, it doesn't really have that much sugar in it. But if the if there are eight servings, you have to multiply whatever the sugar content was times eight. So if you look at the sodium content in this can, uh, it's 600 milligrams. So now that's a good chunk of your recommended daily allowance of sodium. We know particularly here in Mississippi, we've got a lot of people who are sodium sensitive. It's recommended that you not consume excess amounts of sodium. And for most people in the state, I would advocate less than 2,000 milligrams a day. There are six servings in this can. So there is 3,600 milligrams of sodium in this can of Spam. What's the message here? Well, If you want to eat things that are not as good for you, eat them in moderation and just be aware of that. You know, the holidays that are coming up are are particularly here in the South when food is our culture uh, and it's who we are and it's part of our celebrations. And that is great. Just uh, sort of keep an eye on that. You You can eat good food that tastes good. Just don't eat a whole lot of it and uh, try to sneak in some things that are better for you. So. Spam may be your food group, but uh, choose a couple of other things that are good for you. So um, we want to make sure that uh, you're thinking about that before these holidays come up, because once you sit down at that table and uh, maybe you are going to have spam at your uh, at your Thanksgiving dinner. I hope it's something different, maybe. Uh, But just think about those kinds of things. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a question or a comment about your health is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to our first caller. We've got Tom on the line from Oxford. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Uh, the question I have is that I've seen advertisements uh, recently for a flu vaccine that is four times the potency of another one, and it's advertised particularly for uh, older people. I'm wondering uh, if you recommend that what you see as the uh, advantages and disadvantages of that product? Sure. That's a great question. Um, So for individuals who are uh, in the geriatric age range, they do recommend that you you might want to consider, that's the language that they use, a high-dose flu vaccine. Now, why would you want to do that? So the dosages of vaccines are carefully selected, 
And everybody's a little different in how their immune system is set up. But we know as we get older, our immune system doesn't work as well as it used to. That's why, you know, younger individuals, very young, less than one year of age, and then older individuals, those are the two highest groups of, uh, of individuals in the population for infections, unless you've got, you know, a severe illness or something else going on. So uh, with older individuals, that's why the dose is a little bit higher, uh, because that gives your immune system a little bit more opportunity to recognize that. So it does work out. It's been studied, too. So it, it, you have a better immune response as you get older from that higher dose. Now, what's the downside to it? Um, not There's not been any associated uh, in any of the, of the studies looking at this risk of, say, adverse side, side effects from that. Uh, it's, it is a higher volume. It may hurt a little bit more, um, you know, just the, from a concentration standpoint. Other than that, there's really not a, a you know, a, a side effect uh, downside to it. Um, I would recommend this, you know, for, for my elderly patients. Um, so much so that we don't, you know, we don't, a lot of clinics don't typically carry the higher dose, or some of them don't at least. You can always go to your pharmacy. They're going to have, you know, options for you there. I tell my patients, look, I don't care. I believe in vaccines. Uh, you know, the evidence is there. That's the way I've trained. Um, uh, I'll be honest with you, and I try to keep up with that as new evidence comes out. But I don't care where you get it. I mean, if you get it in my office or you get it at a pharmacy, doesn't matter to me as long as you're you're protected. So back to your question, Tom, long, long answer. But basically, I would say if you fit that age range, I would consider getting it. Do you know, is there a difference in uh, out-of-pocket costs for uh, Medicare patients for I don't that think, higher dose? Yeah, I don't think there is. Now, don't quote me completely on that, but I think that is covered. And I haven't had that feedback from my patients that have gotten it. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Tom, for listening, and thanks for the call. And flu, we're already starting to see some, uh, you know, some cases of the flu um, probably flu B, uh, flu B, there's a, types A and B, different, different subtypes of each one of those. But basically flu B has a lot more GI symptoms. So we'll have patients that have more nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And uh, so I've seen a couple of cases of that in clinic. Um, and so it's not full blown yet in Mississippi, but certainly there's some surrounding states, Louisiana in particular, that are having uh, some increased cases of that. And and keep in mind, too, it's not just yourself. And a lot of patients would say, you know, I've never had a problem with getting the flu. I don't really, uh, I don't work in the healthcare industry. But you need to think about the people around you. If you have a, a younger child that's around you or an older individual, an individual who's getting treatment uh, for, say, something like rheumatoid arthritis or things like that that are going to affect their immune system, you need to think about that. Um, you know, and, and if you get protected, uh, you may not get the flu yourself, but you could transfer it on to somebody else. So need to think about that. All right, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we've got plenty of time for your questions or comments. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. And we've reached Dr. Jimmy here, and we're uh, taking your calls this morning. That's right. You can call in with your health care questions, whether it's about you or about somebody else. Doesn't really have to be on topic to what the previous caller brought up, um, because on Wednesdays, we pretty much open it up to whatever anybody is, um, is specific to them. We found that whatever is ailing you is probably ailing somebody else. And I can't tell you how many times we... Uh, hear from other people. Hey, you know, I was going to call in and then somebody called in about the same thing. So don't think that you're the only person out there. If you've got something that uh, you want a question uh, answered on or uh, steered in a, in a certain direction, whether it's about a medication that you've been prescribed or a new condition or symptoms that you've been having, uh, let us take a stab at it and see what we uh, come up with. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Richard from Madison. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Um, I've just I've just finished a round of chemotherapy for uh, a cancer, and had the super strength flu shot last week. Um, is there a problem in having the shot when your immune system's compromised, like it would be by the chemotherapy? Uh, so you want your the answer. The quick answer is no. Um, so there are a couple of vaccines that are different than, say, the flu vaccine. So there are live vaccines and those are live viruses uh, that have been weakened that help you fight off things. Now, we do have a flu vaccine like that, but it's the nasal one. So it used, that's one that they sort of squirt up the nose. So it's real popular in kids and adolescents because they don't like to get get the shot. Um, but the re- routine way that we do the flu vaccine, that is a killed, well, it's actually not even a killed virus. So that's the antigens of that virus that have been sort of put together uh, in such a way that your immune system can recognize that. So it's not, there's not, there's a couple of different risks that you talk about here if you're getting treated, say, with chemotherapy that's going to affect your immune system. One risk is you don't want to get it, right? And you can't get the flu from a flu shot. There's There's no way you can get it. You may have some symptoms that are similar to that. So as your immune system recognizes that, you may have body aches or you may have a low-grade fever. That doesn't mean that you're infected with it. It means your immune system has successfully recognized that as something that it thinks is like the flu, and it's mounted up an immune response the way it would for any other you know, illness. You're not infected with it, though. Uh, but in your case, uh, getting the flu vaccine, it helps you uh, protect you. Now, your immune system may not be at 100% where it can mount up a normal flu response. And I think I heard you say you've got sort of the double dose of it. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, the senior yeah. dose or whatever. Yeah, and that's another reason for giving it. You know, a lot of a lot of oncologists would recommend doing that. But any... Um, you know, any protection that you get, even if it's not what you would get if you weren't getting chemo, is better because you definitely don't want to get the flu. The risk of getting the flu while you're getting chemotherapy is a whole lot worse than not getting an adequate response from the vaccine, if that makes sense. Uh, so two comments. One, 
when I started chemo months and months ago last winter, I did get the flu after the, between the second and third treatments, I think. Oh, yeah. But 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 I'd had the shot, and I had such a light case, it, didn't, it wasn't anything more than a cold as far as I felt like yeah. uh, in my body. The other comment is to one of your callers about whether Medicaid covers the senior dosage. And, uh, yes, it did for my wife and me. So yeah. I imagine it would for him. Great. Yeah, and that's a good comment, too, about, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I got the vaccine, but I still got the flu. If you do get the flu after you've gotten the vaccine, much lower chance that you're going to have some of those more severe side effects. So it's like another, you know, usually it's like a little cold or something and not. If you've got the flu and you're not protected, most people will have horrendous symptoms. Like they're usually in the bed a couple of days. They got muscle aches, pains. Um, you know, all the other things that go along with the sneezing, the coughing, and it can have a lot of, you know, serious implications. It's not something that's benign. People think, well, I can just get the flu and just get over it. Well, that's, if you've had it, you, it's not something that you want to, you want to endure. So Richard, thanks for those two comments and, uh, good luck to you as you, uh, can tell know where you are on your chemo right now, but, uh, you know, I hope that goes well for you and hope that you, uh, you stay in remission. And uh, thanks, as always, for uh, for listening and calling. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're here with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 What about th- thyroid problems? So what, what are the problems with that? So I've seen, uh, you know, certainly that's a common thing that a lot of people get. And there's two things, that two problems, main problems with that gland. So one is an overactive gland. And one is an underactive gland. Just to back up a little bit, what does the thyroid do? It sort of is the master gland as far as your metabolism goes. So it can either, it helps to maintain that uh, normal state of metabolism that you need to deal with everything. So if you have enough thyroid hormone in your body, uh, and there's a couple of, of different types of that hormone naturally that your thyroid secretes, then your body's able to deal with normal things that come up. And that can increase. Like, say, if you're, having, if you're uh, engaging in much more physical activity through exercise, you're going to need a lot more thyroid hormone during that time period. So your thyroid gland, which sits in the front part of your neck uh, over your Adam's apple, that uh, takes care of that. And it receives uh, instructions on how much thyroid to give uh, hormone to put out and to, to make and to secrete to the rest of the body through the brain, through the um, uh, pituitary gland. And uh, in certain individuals, as we get older, your thyroid quits working. You can have autoimmune causes where your body mistakes the thyroid gland itself uh, for foreign things and destroys it. Uh, all kinds of different things that can either decrease the amount of thyroid uh, hormone that you're making. We call that hypothyroidism. Or in some instances, it can make too much, and that's called hyperthyroidism. Well, we treat hypothyroidism very simply with a replacement hormone called synthroid um, uh, or levothyroxine uh, is the generic name for it, and uh, really easy to treat. Uh, It can be frustrating for some patients because it takes a long time for this thyroid hormone that we give by mouth. It's just a pill that you take once a day. It's a little tricky on uh, on the absorption of it. you got to take it at different times and not uh, when you eat a lot of things. But um, pretty easy to control that over time. 
But you do need to make sure your physician is checking that periodically. And once you get sort of stabilized, six months to a year is about the maximum amount that you would check that. There's really no need to check it uh, any more frequently than about every two months. But um, if you're not keeping up with it, sometimes you may feel fine, but you may be getting too much of that hormone. And there was a study that just came out uh, through some data from the Veterans Administration on veterans who were being treated for hypothyroidism by giving the thyroid uh, hormone. And uh, in those patients that were getting a little bit too much, and the only way to really pick up on that was on the lab test that you get routinely to check up on that. There's usually two of them that we get. We get a TSH, that's the signaling hormone from the brain, from the pituitary gland to the thyroid, and then uh, free T4, which is the downstream um, uh, thyroid hormone. So if we if you don't check those, though, if you're getting a little bit too much, then you do increase your risk for things like heart attack, for some arrhythmias. Uh, it can cause some uh, some uh, increases in your blood pressure over time. So it's it's not totally benign. Even if you feel okay, make sure your physician just get you know just ask them, hey, how how often should you be checking my thyroid uh, medication? But that's just some some evidence that we even if you you know are feeling okay, you probably at least need to check it. Uh, um, every six months to a year. Uh, Just some new information out there about those risks. Speaking of hypertension, uh, certainly high blood pressure is something that during the holidays, again, due to a lot of the changes that we have, colder weather, maybe wetter weather uh, in some instances than we've had during the summertime, a lot of people have less activity that they're going through, and they're probably eating more, uh, not just at home, but out and about with different things that are going on. Just be careful about that. That can sneak up on you. Diet can have a big effect on blood pressure. Uh, we've talked about that before. Certainly population studies have shown us that changing your diet towards something that looks more like a Mediterranean diet or uh, the DASH diet, that stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, uh, that's a diet that's really high in fruits and vegetables, lower in processed foods and red meats. Um, if it, uh, The fat sources tend to be plant fat sources, so it's olive oil and nuts. Uh, those types of diets have been shown to decrease blood pressure uh, as much as 8 to 14 points. So, and that's about as much bang for your buck as you're going to get with any one blood pressure medication. Incidentally, if you're already on blood pressure medication and you have some changes that you can make in your diet and you're looking to maybe come off a medication or decrease the dose of a medication, that's probably the best way to do that is by changing your diet. Certainly, there are other ways that you can do that. You can reduce stress in your life in different ways. If you have a high stressful situation, that certainly can uh, contribute to your blood pressure going up. Reduction of salt will, uh, in your diet, for particularly for some individuals, uh, African-American groups, uh, Hispanic groups, certainly they're a little bit more sensitive as a, as a whole, but even individuals in any uh, ethnic uh, group can certainly, uh, certainly see some benefits there. And if you decrease your sodium intake or your salt intake in your diet, not just what you put on food, but what's in food, that can make the blood pressure go down as much as five to eight points. Uh, increasing physical activity and weight loss can also have big effects. Uh, smoking uh, cessation. So if you stop smoking, that's one of the best ways. In fact, my patients who smoke who say, you know, I really don't know how much of an effect this is having. I say, okay, let's do an experiment. Uh, take your blood pressure. 
um, appropriately at home and before you smoke and then smoke your cigarette like you normally would and then check it about 15 minutes later and see how much higher just by that nicotine effect that your blood pressure is. And that's one of the best ways to sort of see immediately what the effects of, of smoking can have on high blood pressure. So certainly some ways to think about that if you have hypertension during the holidays uh, some things that you might think about proactively. You can still have a great time with friends and family and good time eating. Just be aware. It's usually those small things that you can change over time that can make big differences. I'm not a big advocate on going, you know, totally in a different direction all of a sudden. I know a lot of people that works for them, that's fine. But, uh, you know, I, I like to eat the turkey and dressing just like everybody else. So uh, I think you can do that and uh, still eat healthy. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Plenty of time to call in this morning. We're going to take a short break, but uh, during the break, call in with your questions about your health. MPB Think Radio podcast. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you live this morning, taking your calls. So if you have any kind of questions that you have on your own health or Maybe you got something coming up, maybe a surgery coming up, and you want a little bit more information. We'll try to get that to you this morning. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Sarah in Macomb. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Yes, thank you. I was listening for your during your thyroid segment, and I had a question. Sure. I do not have a thyroid. I had it taken out about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've had some issues since I've had my child about five years ago with some different hormonal things. So I thought, 
maybe it was time to see an endocrinologist because I've just been going to my gynecologist for my checkups for right. my thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, I live, you know, in Macomb, we don't have access to an endocrinologist in town, so I have to go out of town. So I had my regular thyroid test, and I asked about the endocrinologist, and they said, sure, well, you know, we'll do what we have to do to see if you can get to the endocrinologist. And the endocrinologist wouldn't see me because my levels were okay. But I don't have a thyroid, so I'm just a little concerned. So are you taking thyroid replacement? So, I am. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so that's why your levels probably are okay. Um, you're right. Endocrinologists are in short supply and high demand in the mm-hmm. state, and that's that's one of the groups that, uh, you know, in Mississippi that we don't have enough. We certainly don't have a whole lot of uh, primary care specialists in some areas, but we also don't have a lot of specialists, and uh, endocrinologists are one of those that we just don't have as many. Um, I would try, and, and really, it's at the discretion of your your current physician or nurse practitioner. So a lot of times, you know, it, you can contact an endocrinologist and not necessarily get in, but your physician may can do it, and you might can get in a little bit. And some, you know, some specialists they only take people through referrals. Yes, and that's that is absolutely what we try to do. Gotcha. Okay. And they said that. They reviewed my file and they said that my levels were good. So yeah. even with my concerns, they they didn't want to see me at the endocrinologist. But I'm still a little – I haven't been to an endocrinologist, and I just feel like without a thyroid, I'm a little more – I'm a little more worried. Well, as long as uh, so the the synthroid that you're getting, that's the you know if it, certainly you're not alone. There's a lot of people who don't have a thyroid either. You know, it's been surgically removed for whatever reason, or it's been damaged to the point where it's not producing enough thyroid hormone. Um, that a lot of primary care uh, physicians and nurse practitioners would feel totally fine doing that. And for ninety percent of those patients, it's fine. You follow the levels. As I mentioned before, you know, there's okay. in, and sometimes they're packaged together. It's like a reflexive TSH. The TSH is the most sensitive thing, thyroid stimulating hormone. That's the most sensitive thing that changes first if the levels are off. So, in other words, if you're getting too much or too little, that TSH is going to move uh, in the opposite direction. So, if it's too low, you're getting too much synthroid or synthetic hormone. If it's too high, you're getting you're not getting enough. And that's an easy, you know, way to titrate that up or down during different times of your life. As you get older, it can change. That's why they recommend getting it every six months to a year, even if you're not having any problems. Right. And I, I do. I do. So are you saying that I can I can trust what my my general practitioner, my gynecologist is, is doing with me? Yeah, I and, would. And as far as like the the, the hormonal things I'm noticing... Who could I? What avenue could I take to address those if I if I'm not going to be able to see an endo or you know if the endocrinologist isn't Is necessary? Your, does your GYN feel con, uh, pretty confident about checking for things? You know, there's other hormones like uh, the the male female hormones, so like FSH and okay. and those kinds of things. You might want to explore that. If they don't feel comfortable doing that, there are GYN specialists that do that they're now they're in short supply too but they're not necessarily endocrinologists but they you know have those specialties of uh, a special little special training or interest in those areas of the the female hormones 
but yeah, I think if you're as long as that that uh, your levels, you're like your TSH and your free T4, if those are rock solid normal. Mm-hmm. That's probably not causing some of the the problems that you're having, and you may need to look elsewhere for that. Okay. One last thing. Uh huh. Um, so I'm taking the generic, and would I possibly? I took Synthroid for a really long time, but it just got a little too expensive. So the generic obviously was the better option in that case. But when talking to my my gyno about this, she said that the now, and you can tell me if this is you know, true or not, or relevant, that Synthroid is is more closely monitored. So if I'm taking 0.125, I'm going to have 0.125 in each pill. But with the generic, it might fluctuate a little bit, like 0.123, 0.125, depending. Right. So is that something that, that I should be careful about? Yeah, generally, I, you know, about generics, n- most of them, it doesn't really matter. But mm-hmm. thyroid replacement is one category that it, it does matter in some people. And this is where individual medicine, you know, individualized medicine does, ca- does you know, count. I will tell my patients if they're same situation, you're right, the, the, the brand name Synthroid is a lot higher than the levothyroxine uh, generic. But depending, multiple companies make those make the um, the generics, and uh, it depends on the individual company sometimes, and those can change from time to time. In fact, if you talk to patients, they'll be like, "Well, you know, I've been taking this for three months, and then all of a sudden the pill looks different. Am I getting mm-hmm. the same medication? Well, it's just made by a different company, so that's why it looks different. Um, but you can see that in patients. The other thing to keep in mind is. When and how you take that, even if you're taking the brand uh, Synthroid, then you, you have to. You can't take it with certain things. If you can't take it with food, right. it's not recommended. You know, most of the time I'll say take it 30 minutes before you eat breakfast. Don't take other things with it, particularly if it's things like calcium, uh, right. vitamins. Like four hours before you take vitamins. Exactly. Oh and, yeah, I'm very. <laughs> so you're doing that. Personally, yeah. I am absolutely 100 aware. And yeah, practicing I, that. But yeah. the but the bottom line is it's your levels. So as long as your levels are okay, then that's okay. I just okay. I, but I have seen that in patients. They've been fine on the same dose, like you said, 50 micrograms, 75 micrograms, and then you, for whatever reason, the generic that they're taking. Their TSH goes up, and it's like they're not even getting anything. Right. Um, but if your if your levels are fine, I think that's okay. By all means, you know, try to save some money where you can because mm-hmm. medications aren't cheap. You're right. Um, but it sounds like the other you know problems that you're having. Check out a uh, GYN specialist. Sometimes they're repro- even if you're not trying to get pregnant. A reproductive uh, gynecologist can have okay. a little bit more expertise in that. And they may want to check some other things like your FSH to LH ratio or your estradiol levels. But there's some other female hormones. That's not my, uh, you know, that's not my area of expertise. Uh, another thing you may want to call on Fridays, uh, Dr. Michelle Owens uh, would be a good, uh, since she's an OBGYN, that would be a good uh, reference on Southern Remedy uh, at 11 on uh, Fridays uh, to ask somebody else. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right, Sarah. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, man, hormones do some crazy stuff. It's amazing to me, just this complexity of the body, uh, you know, just how everything has these feedback loops, and it certainly uh, 
can uh, can uh, have a lot of potential for things to go wrong. It amazes me how many times they work. I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting to uh, to see how the body's sort of put together with that. But um, I, I have seen that in a lot of patients. Those thyroid hormones are particularly. Uh, they're they're very complex, and the replacement uh, sometimes with individuals can be can be a headache, and it does change over time. So, just because you've been on something for you know three, four, or five years doesn't mean necessarily that you're gonna uh, uh, not have to change that over time. All right, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. Uh, you can call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Jesse in Mobile. Good morning, Jesse. How's it going? Good. Thanks for calling. Okay. Question: Had a knee injury in college from a bike ride where over torqued my right knee. Ouch. So it popped from over-torquing. It worked its way out after a couple of weeks of not riding as vigorously. Then last, actually last March, while standing up, it popped again. This time it did not heal as it did in college. Turned out there was an interior meniscus tear. Yep. Now, that has since been operated on. How long before my knee is back to feeling like normal? How far out are you from the uh, from the meniscus repair? About eight weeks. Yeah, you're getting to the point where you should see some improvement. Uh, now, it depends on the degree of injury to that meniscus. And for everybody else out there that doesn't know, the menisci, so there's two. There's a medial and lateral meniscus in the knee, and those are the cushions, basically. So... Uh, They help to cushion that joint space. And then you have ligaments like the ACL, PCL, MCL, and LCL that help hold that knee together uh, uh, throughout the movement of it. Uh, Meniscus repairs can be tricky. Um, It depends on the stability of the knee, too. So as long as you've had... That's usually the case, like you mentioned, like you've had an injury when you were younger. There was probably an initial injury to that meniscus at that point, a torquing injury. Did you have toe clips on when you had that bike wreck, or was it? No, it was the the non-attached foot. It planted, Uh and when I went to turn, I had new cross trainers. They gripped like nobody's business, but the shoe (laughs) didn't flex. Gotcha. Yeah. So same kind of injury where you have that twisting injury, like you said, yep. that on a on a fixed foot. So you you very well could have had a ligamentous injury too when you're younger. Sometimes those things heal up, uh, but if if the knee the stability of the knee is probably one of the things that that will determine whether or not you have long term problems with that meniscus. Um, but eight weeks, you should be. Uh, getting to the point where you're you're starting to see some improvement. You're doing physical therapy, right? He said I could do physical therapy. It wasn't like orders to do physical therapy, just no running. So stair climbing, a elliptical for a while, but nothing as far as you know, I got to get back on the field kind of right. you know, athletic requirement. I, Jesse, I, I would do physical therapy for this reason. They can assess it and through the full range of motion, make sure you don't have any kind of uh, laxity, and they can help uh, specifically, even though you have those four ligaments that hold it in place, 
you can adapt those muscles around the knee, your quadriceps, hamstrings, and uh, some of the other muscles that can uh, that can specifically put that knee in the right place and help stabilize it. Um, but I would I would just call them back and say, hey, can I see physical therapy? They're going to say yes. Uh, and I would have them just assess you. It may only be a quick, you know, one or two weeks, but mm-hmm. I would, that's what I would want to do if it were my knee. All right. All right, Jesse, good luck to you. Appreciate it. Okay. And knee problems can be a pain. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we've got a couple of people who have been patiently waiting and time for you to squeeze in a call. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We'll be right back after this. MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, taking your calls this morning. I had some great questions earlier. Still got a lot of time in the, a little bit of time in the hour for you to call in. Uh, follow up on a, a question several weeks ago. I can't remember if it was a question or an email or both, but basically somebody said, hey, uh, I, I had mentioned lead chromate as a contaminant in turmeric, uh, which is a spice, if you're not familiar with that. And a lead chromate, certainly not something you want to get uh, involved with because of lead poisoning. But uh, we had a caller that said, hey, can you grow this? Can you grow your own turmeric uh, here in Mississippi? So I did a little bit of research, and you can. So if you're in Zone 8 or higher, that's not northern part of the state. That's actually the lower part of the state. So that's a line that's probably somewhere around Kosciuszko or the, certainly Jackson and, and south uh, that's uh, uh, zone A, that you can grow turmeric. So it's sort of the same area that you can grow ginger um, in the state. The problem is you got to grow a lot of it if you eat a lot of it, so you might uh, want to check on them anyway, just an aside for that uh, to follow up on that question. Let's go to V in Waynesboro. Good morning, V. Good morning. I enjoy your show, as usual. My question is, um, would you speak on bulging discs in the neck, um, degenerative osteal. Um, yeah, sure will. Uh, so, bold, so the disc in our vertebrae, or actually they're between our vertebrae. So you have vertebrae that basically go from the uh, the the head all the way down to the hip, uh, and these uh, discs in between those vertebral bodies. 
of your spine. They're cushions in the same way we talked about in the knee earlier. And they help to uh, to cushion that load. Well, sometimes the particularly the inner part of that can sort of protrude out. Uh, so when it protrudes out, there's all kinds of nerves, of course, that are coming down the spinal cord and then going out to the rest of the body. And uh, sometimes you can have a problem with that. As you get older, too, you can have changes to the to the bones themselves. That's the osteoarthritis. That's just a wear and tear arthritis, and you can have little outgrowths. Uh, we call them osteophytes that sort of stick out. Sometimes they can stick into some of the nerves and uh, press on them and usually have pain or weakness or both uh, because of that. So, uh, V, if you're having problems with that, the neck is actually one of the places that if you have a specialist that's looking at you, and that's usually either an orthopedic surgeon or a uh, neurosurgeon, a spine surgeon, uh, then, uh, you know, if they're recommending, hey, we think at this point, then maybe surgery might be uh, something that you that might benefit you. Of course, you have to, to look at your total risk, you know, other medical problems that you have. But if you have to have surgery for a disc that's pressing on a nerve, the neck region <clears throat> actually is a little bit better outcome than, say, the lower back for that. That doesn't necessarily mean if you have one, you have to have surgery. Uh, there's certainly lots of things that you can do uh, to try to decrease the pain, uh, to try to, to maintain mobility uh, so that you're able to do things. But that's, that, that's you know, the, the skinny on, uh, on disc and bulging disc in your neck. Yes, PT is recommended. What do you have to say about that? Definitely do physical therapy. Uh, physical therapy or occupational therapy. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a little bit of a, it depends on what area they're working in, but upper body sometimes can be occupational therapy. Definitely would do that. That can help with range of motion, decrease of pain, uh, and sometimes stabilization of those, of uh, the muscle groups around the neck. So definitely take advantage of that. Yes. Is there any exercise such as squats or leg raises that should, one shouldn't do? So generally not if it's in the upper part of the neck, but your physical therapist, when you see them, that's exactly what you need to say, hey, what can I do? What should I do? And they're going to demonstrate that for you and tell you what you can and can't do and when you can do it. Thank you. All right, V. Thanks for calling. Yeah, neck problems. Also, uh, you know, we're looking at things too much like our cell phones. You know, posture has a lot to do with that, too. All right, let's see. Let's go to Rick in New Albany. Good morning, Rick. Hey, how you doing today, doctor? Good. Thanks for calling. I have a question. I have a three-year-old great-grandson that's had a, a, a cough for about five to six weeks. She took him to his doctor, and he said it's just he thinks it's allergies. But I found out that his dad is, is vaping, you know, with him in the house. And I was just wondering if that could possibly have anything to do with him having a continuous cough. It's possible. Um, it's certainly not as prevalent. And we don't have as much data on vaping yet. But what we know about it in the delivery system and everything, secondhand uh, exposure to vaping is not quite like it is for cigarette smoking. Um, so certainly secondhand cigarette smoke can cause a lot of damage. We've, you know, you can even have a risk for cancer over long periods of time for family members who are around individuals that smoke. Vaping, because of the drop-off in, uh, you know, as far as the distance you are from somebody, unless he's just blowing this in the child's face, 
uh, that's that's probably not going to be to the same extent of exposure as you would say with cigarette smoke. Now that being said, if he does have allergies um, uh, or it's a little too young to diagnose asthma in a in a I believe you said a three year old is that what you said? Three, that's yeah. correct. Uh, that's a, that's pretty young to make a definitive diagnosis of asthma. But if he does have something like asthma, you can walk in the room wearing a certain type of perfume or cologne, and somebody with asthma will immediately go into bronchospasm. So depending on what they're vaping, because it's a lot of different flavors and that kind of thing, I you know it's possible I would say, um, uh, depending on what what he's vaping with. But I don't think it's probably to the extent that, say, secondhand cigarette smoke uh, would do. Set definitely, if you're doing that, even if you're doing it outside, you can come back into the house, and for somebody who's really sensitive, uh, they can go into bronchospasm and start coughing and even have an allergic reaction uh, like an asthma uh, uh, attack just from somebody who has the smell of cigarette smoke. Well, I appreciate the information. I was just concerned about it, and I'll uh, I'll pass that on to my granddaughter. All right, Rick. Thank you for calling. All right. All right thank you. Okay. Let's go to Shannon from Natchez. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's your question this morning? I have a question because I annually, just like once a year, I break out in this rash like all over, and it really itched. You know, urticaria is really bad. And I have to take, I am a diabetic, and I have to take um, prednisone. That's the only thing because it's so bad that, you know, I don't have enough cream in order to um, put it over my body. So I have to take the prednisone, and I'm just trying to see what that is. It only comes like once a year, and it's like, it's really bad when it comes. It comes all in my scalp, everything. Uh, so it sounds, particularly if it's seasonal like that, a lot of people will have seasonal allergies and it doesn't have to be the sneezing type of allergy. So you can have an eczematous, uh, reaction like that, uh, on your skin and it's no rhyme or reason sometimes, but if you get, if you do some, you know, due diligence and detective work, sometimes you can find out what that is, uh, and avoid it. Um, I would, if you haven't already, I bet you already have, but uh, I would take antihistamines uh, to help prevent this um, during this time period that you know that you're more likely to uh, to break out with it. Certainly, trying to avoid oral steroids is probably better, particularly since you have diabetes. Uh, and if you haven't seen a dermatologist for this, that's a person I would I would go to also. A lot of people have uh, treated this um, also with uh, with Singulair. That's an asthma medication, but it's also been used particularly for allergic rhinitis. Uh, some people think it might work with uh, skin type reactions to that. I haven't really found that it it helps out with the. Uh, the skin uh, allergies, but uh, it's, it's worth a try. But I think a dermatologist is probably your next best bet on seeing somebody. All right, that is all the time we have uh, today. I want to thank all of our callers for calling in. Uh, certainly appreciate them sharing what's going on with them uh, so that it can help themselves and others. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. Our call screener was Jamie. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.